0: Isaiah it's chapter 40 and we're starting at verse 1 comfort comfort my people says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their, all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: So, As Dave has so eloquently uh, said, today is the start of Advent and wasn't that a great prayer from Pete Gregg? We have just prayed uh, to really fill our imaginations and our hearts as we sort of begin this uh, journey. So we're at a time of waiting, a time of countdown, if you like, the Advent calendars. And uh, I, I hope you've, it's not today, is it the first? It's, no, so you won't have had any chocolate, that's good. And, uh, but we have lit the candles, well, one candle. I, I loved it when Dave said we got four candles this morning. Those. <laughs> I thought, you know, Ronnie Corbett is still alive, it's wonderful. <laughs> and, but we've lit one of those uh, candles and we're officially, we're getting ready for God, preparing to meet with him, um, preparing to know him, preparing to welcome him. Preparing for his promises, but most of all, preparing for him to come again to complete uh, what he started in Jesus. So, we're watching out for God, we're examining the times, the events, the situation. Advent basically gets us to stop, to breathe, and to look out for Jesus. So, basically, Advent is the exact opposite of Black Friday, and this year. It's more so than any other year. As we glance, I just need to glance at uh, Donald Trump across the ocean and look at all his preparations and utterances and photos in gold lifts. Did you see that? Who has a gold lift anyway? And tweets as he prepares for government and rule. I must say I'm looking out for God more than I've ever looked out for him before in my almost 50 years But what are we looking for? What's going on here? As bombs rain down in Aleppo and soldiers march into Mosul, as English football deals with huge child sex abuse issues, as politicians and commentators get us to panic about Brexit, what are we looking for? As the divide between rich and poor gets bigger and bigger, as the globe warms up more and more, as more and more people are forced to leave Their homes and sailing boats not fit for purpose. And as the sense of injustice in our time increases, and as the Bethany night shout for for people sleeping on our Edinburgh uh, streets is fuller than ever, what is it we are looking for? As we strive to survive and thrive, as we want the best for our families, as we go for the best grades, as we aim for the top and as we want the best for our children, as we plan and hope for our futures, what is it we are looking for? As depression takes us to darker places and the loss of love or relationship means we think about nothing else, and as we keep on being looked over for promotion or as our benefit supervisor belittles us once again, or as a bereavement has left us sad and confused and with underlying feelings of loneliness, or as we are given a diagnosis which leads us to despair, what is it we are looking for? Because advent is about looking. Who is this God we're searching for? How would we describe this God we are looking out for? And even, is this God worth? searching for. and So today and in fact for the rest of this month and December as well and hopefully for the rest of our lives we are just invited to look, to examine, to search, to weigh up, to review and to read the signs of the times. And today we do this by going back almost exactly 2,500 years. We look forward by going back and we go back to a very ancient text, perhaps to some of the most beautiful writing ever written to make sense of now. And this is exceptional poetry uh, this morning, and in this poetry, we meet our futures too, because we recognize our hope, and we meet with the real God who we're looking for. This could be a definition of Advent, meeting with the real God. So, Isaiah 40, if you've got your phones on and your apps up, uh, we're starting at verse 1. If you're old school and use the printed press, then it's, uh, I don't know what page it's on, but it's Isaiah 40, verse 1. And if you're hugely intelligent and have memorised the whole Bible, it's in that place of your brain, I would never know exists. But... All you need to know about this passage is it is a hinge passage in the Old Testament. This is what we have been waiting for up to the whole read, up to this point. Because often you speak to people about the Old Testament. And uh, God, it seems, when they describe him, they say, well, God is angry, a wrathful God. That's what's communicated. And the basic story of the Old Testament seems to be the people miss the mark and God gets angry with them. The people sin, and God despairs. And in this, God can often seem to be far off and distant. But here, all of that is getting turned on its head. There have been glimpses of this God of Isaiah 40 before. You just need to read through the Psalms to see this. But now this God is in full view, and he comes into perfect focus. This is The Christian God. This God then becomes what we are waiting for, what we're searching for, and what we're looking for right now. So, this morning I just want to tell you three things about this God we're waiting for. And this is going to grow and grow as we journey through Advent. The first thing I need to tell you is this this God we're looking for is an encouraging God. God is is a God of encouragement. He yells at the top of his voice to the people of Israel, comfort, comfort my people. Notice it's not just one comfort, but two. I am going to comfort you, says God, and I am going to comfort you again. And this is a major change of tone. In the previous 39 chapters of Isaiah, God had been telling uh, the people they're basically in deep trouble. He's been telling them they've mucked up and sinned so much that they have a problem and a foreign nation is going to invade them and take them over unless they change their ways. And we're at the point of the story where they haven't changed their ways and they've deeply missed the mark and now they're ruled by a brutal and terrible government. They're at the point of the first verse of, O come, O come Emmanuel. They are in captivity. It's not good, it's painful, it's difficult. And into this despair and terror, it's as if God has rebooted and he yells out, this is not how it's going to be. You are no longer on your own, but I am with you. To uncomfortable and afraid people, God yells his comfort. To people who find it hard to change, he shouts out his comfort. To those who are ashamed, he yells comfort. To those who have missed the mark and are broken, God yells out comfort. To those who are lost and humiliated, he speaks out comfort. He is speaking to a remnant, to a broken nation, and he's saying he's heard their prayers and their cries. And the word he uses for For comfort here, can also mean encouragement. Encourage my people. God is changing the narrative from a negative one to a positive one. The word comfort also can mean speak tenderly. God is a gentle and kind God to those who are lost and broken. No longer is it about distance and not being good enough. No longer is it about missing the mark and being angry. Things are changing and God is moving in new ways and it's going to be about God sorting it. This is the real God who has been searched for since the beginning of time. God is a good God, a rescuing, a forgiving God, a loving God, and this is the real thing. His love and comfort and rescue are now the themes and the future. Sometimes hard in our beautiful city, of Edinburgh to really get what's being said here. And if we maybe have significant incomes, important big jobs and the best of many things and a lot of good things in our lives, it's quite hard to understand the impact of these words. But what is happening here is God is saying to those who are lost, who are broken, who've missed the mark, who's failed and sinned, you are significant to me, you are important to me. And he's saying, I want to encourage you These words are words for us this morning who are far off in difficulty and feel low. You are significant and God is speaking tenderly. Receive his love this morning. However, if we were in Aleppo this morning, these words might take on more power. In fact, these words are written to people in a situation much like Aleppo. Lost, broken, out of control, with no power and in great trouble. I've been very struck by following the story of uh, Barna Alabad who's uh, seven and her mum Fatima and they're stranded in the city as airstrikes are killing people and maiming civilians all around her and helped by her mum she is up there. Barna has started tweeting Uh, and this was basically a sort of English lesson at home to help her learn English but also it's become something where she's sort of writing down how she is feeling and her first tweet simply read on September the 24th simply read, I need peace and the story of what it's like to be a child trapped in Aleppo unfolds and so she tweets, and she's tweeted many things you can just go and follow her if you want to see what she tweets and she says, why are you so cruel? how many do you kill until this stops? Stop the bombing please enough now she writes, I want to be a teacher, but this war is killing my dreams. Stop the bombing. Let me learn English and math, uh, maths. She tweets, I'm very afraid of planes now when I hear them. Dark night and very dangerous Aleppo. I pray tonight will be calm for me and all. She tweeted, 200 died yesterday and today who's next? I'm very afraid tonight. Hashtag Aleppo. I want to wake up from this horrible dream that I'm living in the morning and evening. And she tweets, praying here in Aleppo tonight as I hear bombs fall. My soul can be taken anytime. This is a seven year old tweeting Please stop killing us. We need peace. I need peace to become a teacher. She talks of bombs destroying neighboring buildings. She sends pictures of bombs falling, and she even terribly sends pictures of dead children and she has asked for help with her reading, and J.K. Rowling from here in Edinburgh has sent her the whole of the Harry uh, Potter series uh, digitally so she can read those, and she's uh, reading them to her family. This was just a simple exercise by her mother to help her to learn English. But what we're getting is this child's view of war. Sometimes she's very funny, especially when talking of her family. She's often grateful and thankful, especially when people get in touch with her. The contact somehow helps her, even if some of the comments back are very cruel uh, and heartless. It's amazing, some people who venture into the Twitter world. But mostly, she wants the bombs to stop. She wants world leaders to think of Aleppo. She wants an end to war, and she's desperate. And she needs comfort. She needs encouraging, and she needs speaking too tenderly, and she needs to know she's not on her own. So do follow her on Twitter if you're that. She's now got over 100,000 followers. You can just follow her story and she will know that she's not on her own. So Isaiah 40 introduces us to an encouraging God who is willing to engage with and enter into real life, into proper messed up life. It also proclaims God will be a transforming God. He is the God who can transform anything and everything. We might think We've lost, we might be in great difficulty, life might have gone away from us, but also there is another story going on. It's as if we're invited to look up from our weak standpoint and stand as part of something bigger. The internal debate of failure and difficulty becomes then an external debate where the possibility of change and freedom and hope can be our story. Listen in Isaiah 40, God shouts out, verse 3, he shouts. In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, for all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The barren places, the out of control places, the depressing And low places, the rough and broken places, are going to be transformed. For the original, here is the people of Judah, this means that release is on its way. Captivity is no longer going to be their story, because God is going to make every road straight. He's going to blast through the mountains, and he's going to make the road flat. He is coming, and his coming is so immense, he can turn the impossible into the possible. And to the people, he is saying... Get ready for this. I am going to change the narrative and I have the ability, the strength and also the compassion to do this. And this is God's expertise. He has the ability to transform the broken and the difficult and the painful. He can move mountains of doubt. He can straighten out that which is bad and wrong. And he can enable the weak and those who have nothing to have strength and endless Possibility. He is going to work a miracle on his people. They can't do it, but he can do it. He will somehow untangle the mess of their lives and give them life. This is the forever, the eternal work of God. He transforms, and then do you know what He does again? He transforms, and then He transforms. It's not a once-only thing for God, but an eternal thing. In life, he takes his weak and feeble people, and he will keep on transforming them. He'll keep on showing us new possibility. He keeps on whispering his hope. He takes the dead, and he breathes new life into it. He is the transforming God. Now, one of my uh, favourite bands is The Who, and... uh, they are completely incredible, but they're very old now. They need zimmer frames and everything else. In fact, half of them are dead. But, uh, and one of them who's dead is John Ontwistle, and he's, he's their, their bass player. If you've never read the story of The Who, well, you just need to read about Keith Moon. And uh, anyway, very interesting. Um, anyway, he was always little bit in the background John Whistle, uh, because you've got Pete Townsend and his speciality was destroying and breaking up guitars and then you've got Roger Daltrey who's one of the scariest uh, people in the world who would uh, prowl around stage with great menace on his face and didn't mind a fight every now and then but John Antwistle as he stood on in the background had this incredible uh, bass uh, which he called Frankenstein and basically in 1967 which is the greatest year ever um, he found five broken bass guitars and they were worn out, they were busted and useless, you couldn't use them and so he decided uh, to take the best bits out of them and try and just see if he could get a working bass guitar from them, so armed uh, with a screwdriver and a soldering iron he took them apart and what he did was he made one guitar and he was completely amazed because the instrument he created was so exceptional and so much so that when he created, it, he burst out of the room and said, it's alive, <laughs> hence the name Frankenstein. I think you need to watch Hammer House of horror films uh, to understand that properly. Anyway, this guitar went on to play on three of the most important rock albums of the world ever. So it played on Tommy, So that's still going around. You can go and watch it in the West End if you want to. Then the most exceptional album, Who's Next, one of the top five greatest albums ever, I would say. Won't Get Fooled Again. That's a tune for our time. So if you think of uh, Donald Trump, just put that on and you'll be happier afterwards. And then you've got The Who, Live at Leeds, which, again, is exceptional. Their power as a live band comes out and that bass playing just bashes the house down. So these five busted up and broken guitars, somehow came together and they did something exceptional. And that's what God's saying here to to Judy. He said you might be busted up and broken and be in many pieces and in a complete mess and there might be no chance whatsoever for you. But you are going to be transformed. It's going to be different. No longer do you need to despair. Hope, beauty and wonder are around the corner. So we're getting a picture of God here who is encouraging and transforming. A God who brings hope when there's little hope and little possibilities, when options seem limited. But also there's a final picture of God here this morning. A picture most especially, I think, for our times. And we are introduced to a consistent God. Listen in verse 6. A voice cries, says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? And this is what you should cry. All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows over them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The idea here is that people get blown back and forth and essentially end up withering and dying. In other words, we might think we're brilliant and beautiful and useful, but essentially our time, our ideas, our plans, our dreams are limited. These are all going to pass away. However, it's not the same with God. His time, his ideas, his places and his dreams go on forever. In a time where we have political upheaval and Aleppo, and Mosul and people escaping from terrible situations all over the world and global warming and the usual famine and wars which have been with us forever where major corporations are silencing the little person's voice. I find it very helpful to reflect on Isaiah's grass and flowers and that it is all just a passing thing. That kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. I find it very helpful, too, to reflect on the fact that God is unchanging and his values and his love will last forever. He is the God who, despite everything going wrong, can encourage and can transform. I find it helpful, all of this, and I was able to reflect on this forever God just this Friday because I found myself in a courtroom uh, in Birmingham supporting two old friends Amir and his wife Amelia. I've changed their names but this is a true story and they are desperate they're in a desperate situation because he is Iranian and he's in his last chance saloon about being deported. There's, there's a picture. This one last chance for them and there I was sitting wondering What world do I live in that a man with two lovely and little British children could be treated so coldly that he faces deportation and separation from his family? It's a very complicated story, but I was thinking, what world do I live in that despite a real threat of persecution because uh, Amir is a Christian being forced back to a country where Christianity isn't liked, Uh, that our legal system is reduced to working out what the percentage of risk is, that if he goes back he will be persecuted. If it's more than 50%, he can stay. If it's less than 50%, he can go. I was sitting there in my dog collar next to Amir, staring at the judge just to let him know that the church is very interested in what was going on, and in his response, uh, obviously that won't bear any sort of bearing on on, on the case at all, but I was just wanting to be a presence if I could be in that courtroom and support him. And as I was sitting and thinking and supporting, I found myself just praying through this Isaiah passage because that was all I could do. I was praying for an encouraging and transforming and constant God to be exactly that right there in the courtroom. Isaiah 40 was written to people exactly like Amir and Amalia, people who stand the risk of using, losing everything People are being humiliated and I prayed it through. Comfort them Lord, help them Lord, change this Lord. And I was only able to do this because this is our God. A God who can enter into the impossible and help someone to work it out. Now no judgment was given on Friday so if you could just keep holding this family in your prayers and pray for miracles for them, that would be a wonderful thing. So these three words from Isaiah are important words this morning because they are what we're waiting for. They describe our God, encouraging, transforming and constant. These are the words which are going on, being repeated throughout history. And they are words most especially seen in Jesus. A Jesus we are passionately waiting for this Advent to make these words become more and real and alive in our hearts. Let's, as we wait for Jesus, take these words and make them real in our lives. Let's live them out. Let's wait for them. Let's hope for them. The Holy Spirit is here this morning, He's whispering these words into our hearts, into our ears. They're words for us personally. They're words for our families. They're words for our community, our city, our nation. They're words for our world. Let's people be people who look for and give encouragement. Let's be people who look for and live out transformation and let's give thanks to God because he is the same yesterday, today and forever and he will do it. God bless you all.